are listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell. And we are here to uh, eat, eat crow, admit we're wrong, uh, go ahead and lean into that real early. As the Suns are eliminated from the playoffs, season is over as they drop Game 7, 123-90. to 90. And if we're being quite honest, it could have and should have been a whole lot worse. Philip, before we get into Game 7, before we get into the season as a whole, the offseason, what comes next, the big scary cloud of unknown that is in front of us, what are your first thoughts after watching Game 7? Because, man, I had a lot. I asked for this title of the episode because I feel like I was the most wrong of of anybody. After Game 1 and then after Game 2 and even after Game 3, and I was still feeling myself even after Game 4, I said I was not worried about the Dallas Mavericks. And this is this is one of those moments in sports where you just had the completely wrong read on a situation or, and we'll get into this in just a bit, I think the Mavericks were a completely different team starting in game three, starting with that first trip back to Dallas. So there's going to be, there's going to be a balance on this episode of us criticizing the Suns and rightly so. I tweeted out last night that I've never heard more appropriate jeers from a crowd in my entire time watching sports and definitely in my time watching the NBA. But we're also going to spend time praising Dallas because they were fantastic. And and I want to go ahead and, and open this with, uh, I personally am going to do my best to remember that this is a Suns podcast and we're here to talk about the Suns and not just complain about the Suns. And sometimes that means that we have to talk positively about others when others deserve positivity. And with that, let's go ahead and scare whoever's listening away real quick. Let's talk about what the Mavericks did right. We already talked about us being wrong. I think there's plenty of things on the sun side that we should talk about and will talk about. But before we get there, which in my opinion has an exponentially higher chance of going off the rails in many directions, let's stay focused and let's talk about Dallas. Because at the end of the day, Dallas won that series. And if you look at games six and seven, they did it in a convincing manner. What stood out to you the most about Dallas and what they did on the court to get this result? I can't remember game to game within a series, a difference between a team's defense. The Dallas Mavericks we saw in game one and to some extent in game two, their defense was so different in games six and seven. I am truly incredibly impressed with what Dallas did on the defensive end. And I feel like we're going to hedge a lot because our audience base is Suns fans. I know I'm so painfully aware. 
I was very invested in the game last night. I'm particularly aware of how poorly the Suns played last night. A big, big reason for that was because the Mavericks defense punched them square in the nose at the very beginning of the game and did not let up the entire first half and for the first stretch of the third quarter. The blitzing of Devin Booker, the helping and then the recovery back to shooters, blitzing Booker and then in scrambling then to get back and then fronting Booker so that if the ball was coming back to Devin Booker, he was getting it out by half court, which means even if he drives off of that, they have time to help again off of him. So much was good. Jason Kidd did an exceptional job. Everything was so hard for the Phoenix Suns last night in the first quarter and the second quarter that they couldn't get anything going. And again, I know some of the Suns had off nights, but the Mavericks played the Suns brilliantly. And you already made mention Jason Kidd and credit to him for making those adjustments. But man, it's incredible to see a team take those adjustments and execute them so well in such a short amount of time. Like every game was a one day break until going into game seven. And unfortunately I think we wanted the Suns to get that day of rest that looked very, very needed. But if anything, it looks like the Mavs just had a day to get incredibly rested and amped to attack Booker, like an absolute maniac. Like it was, it was really impressive. And I think you made the point already as well. But the shift in team that we watched from Dallas after game one and two uh, to what we saw later was, oh man, pretty, pretty stinking annoying. Uh, Romeo there in the chat already talking about it. This, that pressure on Booker. That was, that was a lot. Like it, it looked like it crumbled everything else. And you just don't think it should be able, like, that pressure, the blitzes, the hedges, the whatever, like I don't feel like that should be able to single-handedly crush your offense, but it looks like that was pretty much the result. Like they just didn't know what to do. Because of the because of the follow-up to that. When you blitz someone, and David at the four point play did a great job talking about this yesterday on Twitter. He said the team that controls the middle of the floor was going to win game seven. When you blitz someone like Devin Booker, what you open up is the area like right at the top of the key, kind of at the college three-point line, right at the free throw line. But the Mavericks, even when they blitz Booker, they were doing it so high or they had such big, tall wings that that pass then to the middle of the floor just wasn't there. And that's where their other help defenders were going so that if Booker was going to make a pass, it was going to have to be some cross-court pass or just back up the floor to another guard, CP3, uh, or Mikhail, someone who would be more at the top of the key or closer to half court. They pressured and blitzed and then helped off of their blitz perfectly at the beginning of the game. It was a masterclass defensively. I also want to touch I know we can we can talk more about their defense I know eventually we'll talk about the Suns offense and and cover it again we also got to give credit to the Mavs on offense uh 
one of those things in a series like this, uh, you got to hit the shots that are open. And boy, did they. They had some massive performances. The final point total for their big three, which is just stupid here. Luca with 35, Dinwiddie with 30. Once again, that is Dinwiddie, the guy who looked like he couldn't score for half the series with 30, and Brunson with 24. And you look like you look at guys like Bullock or Finney Smith, and you think, well, those are guys that can be kind of the game changers. They get hot from three, even a Kleba maybe. Finney Smith was one of four. Bullock was one of four. Kleba was one of one. So these dudes that you think are going to crush you, those those X-factor types that if they get going, and we saw it earlier in the series, right? Like, it can happen. But that wasn't it tonight. It was the guards. And it was it was running sets. It was iso ball. It was honestly whatever they wanted it to be. And those three dudes got the lead going early. I mean, let's be real here. Luka could not have had a better start. Like, you want to talk about a dude that is trying to show the world that he absolutely deserves to be in the conversation that he's been put in. Brother, he, I mean, it was laughable. It was, that start was laughable. He was phenomenal. And so you see that coming and you hope that you can mitigate the the dangers around him. And you see very quickly that that doesn't happen. And then you hope that you win the non-Luka minutes and Dinwiddie goes off and you just say, offensively, they're cooking us. Defensively, it is it is equally as bad. What about the Mavs offense stood out to you the most? And what do you think it was that allowed Dinwiddie and Brunson and Luca to have continued success from the guard spot? I'm going to pivot off of that just a little bit and say in the first quarter, it wasn't that great except for Luca and Dinwiddie. Luke and Dinwiddie were great in the first quarter. They combined for 8 of 11 and 4 of 7 from 3. But overall, overall, the Mavericks had a 10-point lead after the first quarter, shooting 47 from the field, 47.5% from the field, and then 5 of 14 from 3, which is their season average. The Suns got up more shots in the first quarter than the Mavs. Same amount of free throws, turnovers. The Mavericks had two more turnovers than the Suns in the first quarter. It, I've talked about my consternation with this phrase. It's a make or miss league, but a lot of times it's just the kind of shots that you're getting. The Mavericks from Luka and then Dinwiddie late in the quarter were getting better looks than the Suns, but a lot of those, a lot of those, came from their playmakers going one-on-one. Yeah. And the Suns playmakers didn't go one-on-one and, and, and this is probably the part that hurts the most, didn't look particularly interested in going one-on-one with anybody last night. And we'll, we'll probably get into that in just a few minutes. I keep having to pump the brakes on myself whenever you say a lot of this, but no, I think they, they had shot creators and they had multiple of them and they had guys that could create space for themselves. And they took full advantage of it by hunting matchups over and over, but it's different when it's not just one guy hunting a matchup. It's three dudes that can all work within the normal rotations, within the normal sets. And then when they see they've got it, 
then it's just a pass the ball. It's not 15 seconds of pick and rolls and switches. And here's the other thing. If you're, if you're a secondary or tertiary playmaker on the Mavericks, if you're a Dinwiddie, a Bertans, a Kleba, one of, one of the things that you're going to look for is how well is Luca playing? How well is Luca playing? And when Luca goes eight points within a minute last night, that's going to settle everybody else down and it opens up the floor because Luca then is going to have an incredible amount of focus on himself. Everybody else settles in after Luca rattles off eight points in a row, and you could tell Luca was feeling himself. If you want a play to show how the Suns were the antithesis of that, the exact opposite of that, think about Chris Paul's first shot. They ran a normal set. I can't remember if it was snap or just a straight up pick and roll, but CP got wide open at the elbow, wide open, and he clanked it. And he missed the shot. And it felt like in that moment, everything about the Suns tensed up and everything with the Mavs was more free-flowing. And that, that play did not make a difference last night, but that play exemplifies the difference between the two teams. Luka, Dinwiddie, Brunson going one-on-one, attacking the Suns' defense. And then after that, the Suns' best playmakers not doing not doing much of anything else, which this, there are so many, there's so many different directions to go with this. Well, I want to say one, one quick thing too. And we talked about this last night. I think being able to have guys that can create their own shot is a really good way to break a team out of a funk. The Suns are a very funky team. Follow with me here. The Suns are very set on running their plays, running their actions, getting an offense in rhythm. And so two missed open threes and a missed elbow from Chris, it's like, oh crap, we're running our stuff and we're not, we're not making it. Now what? And so you either continue to run those and keep taking the good shots, but if the guy who you expect to make said good shot out of that set isn't hitting it, then what do we do? So it's either a personnel change or a game plan change. And so, like I said, when you have a guy who can say, we need a couple buckets, and I, we can talk Luca if we want to give Suns fans a tiny break from Luca. we can talk Jason Tatum. A guy that says, we need two to three straight buckets to either match what the other team's doing or get us ahead just that little bit. And we, we'll talk about it more in a bit. I'm trying to stay mass focused. The Mavs did have that, and I thought that was big. So when their three and D wings weren't hitting and they have Bertans going O of three or, you know, whoever, whatever, like they had guys who could get them out of a funk and get them going. And what helped them is they really didn't find themselves in a funk too often in game seven. You saw it a little bit in game six, game six. They had those stretches where they slowed down. They looked fallible. The Suns could get back in it. And then one of their guys just kind of said, I'm going to go get us a bucket or two. Game seven, it wasn't needed, but I still think that's that's a thing that they are able to do that maybe, I mean, not maybe, I know I didn't give them enough credit for when looking roster by roster and saying who should have the edge here. Sometimes you just have to have that guy. 
And last night they had three dudes that looked more than willing to be that guy. The Suns had zero people who looked like they could be that guy. And and we should probably just flip into the Suns now. Yeah, I feel like we can we can only we're we're already there because the Suns have two guys on their roster who have been that guy the entire season and were those guys all of last season. And for the majority of the playoffs, Booker was that guy during the finals last season. And he looked like he didn't want anything to do with that last night. And that was, that was the part that was, I don't know if it's concerning. I don't know how you walk away from this season thinking poorly of Devin Booker. You walk away from last night, maybe with like a touch of concern about big games and big moments. And you can nitpick some of his shortcomings in the finals last year to go along with that. But there's, there's been a lot of talk about like, oh, the Suns should have done more at the trade deadline. Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been enough for two straight seasons. They've been enough. And what it allowed was it allowed young guys to develop. It allowed you to keep good defensive players on the court to flank D-Book in CP3. It allowed you to keep a guy like DA on the court who was a rim-running presence for the majority of this year who had great, great games throughout these playoffs even, hitting that short roll position. The fundamental problem last night And the fundamental problem in game six was Devin Booker and Chris Paul were not good enough. And it is unfair with the way this team is currently constructed to expect all of a sudden Mikhail, Landry, Cam Johnson to then flip some sort of switch and be on ball creators when they haven't had to do that the entire year and for the last two seasons. For guys like Mikhail and Cam Johnson, that's not the role they have been asked to play. They are, it's clear from watching them over the last couple of seasons, they're developing those capabilities, but they're not game seven on ball playmakers right now. And the thing is, the two guys who are that for the Suns are probably both all NBA this year. Right. So the media is going to say the two guys on the court for the Suns last night who just didn't get it done had two of the best. 15 seasons in the entire NBA and they were non-factors offensively. And in fact, they were net, they were so far net negatives offensively. I don't care who you have flanking them. I don't care if it's Eric Gordon. I don't care if it's Aaron Gordon. I don't care who else you want to have next to those guys with the way the Phoenix Suns run their offense. If it's Booker and Paul playing poorly, there is no hope for them offensively. It doesn't matter who the third guy is. I think that's one thing too that's frustrated me a little bit about the Twitter discourse, which look, after a game like last night, I think everyone deserves maybe not everyone, ninety-nine percent of everyone deserve a free pass of some kind. Vent your feelings. I'd rather you scream it to the world of Twitter than to your kid, your spouse, your whoever, right? If that's where you need to get it out, go for it. If we're going to scream and vent, I think what frustrated me the most, and I think it was I think it was because the Aiton bench issue and the Paul potential injury, those two guys popped up way more than I think Booker's name did. And if I'm going to rank the people I'm most disappointed in, I think Booker's my number one. Booker's my one, Paul's my two, 
and then Aiton's my three? Maybe. And maybe McHale's my three, and then Aiton at four? Like, I, I get it. And if you go through my tweets, you will see a flood of tweets about me wanting Luca back in 2018, blah, 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 the center position, it shouldn't be paid what it is. I stand by all those things. And the thing is, if you found me someone else who didn't go to the University of Arizona and was also drafted number one, like if Jaron Jackson or Bagley, whoever, I don't care. If a big is picked number one in that situation, I'm not going to be happy about it. That said, the expectations that are put on him this series, that was like stupid. Like how on earth are we coming away from this series and we're saying, wow, Aiton really let us down in this series. Wow, Chris Paul's injury, he's washed. He can't do a thing anymore. When he literally had the game two that he had not that long ago, right? Like, it's incredible how quick we just move past and we forget. So how how is it, how's Book not getting talked about? And here's my question. To you, who's not been in Suns world as long, I think it's because the Suns fandom as a whole has a weird, not weird, it makes sense, but an incredibly strong affinity towards Booker where it's going to take a whole, whole lot for them to ever turn on him. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Booker had to have done in order to get crapped on, but if you look at Devin Booker's stats in his first game seven, he was three of 14, and I think he started 0 of 9. 0 of 4 from 3. Like, how is that not topic number one? Honestly, I, I don't get how Booker is avoiding the criticism. And again, you made the point. He's the number four MVP getter this year. That's ridiculous. Can, like, can you imagine if Giannis, Embiid, or Jokic, or let's go down two notches, Tatum or Luka, did what Devin did? How on earth is that not getting discussed? So do you just think the Suns have a level of love for him that it doesn't matter what he does at this point? I don't know if we were conditioned with how to talk about de- bad Devin Booker. Poor shooting Devin Booker, sure. But passive Devin Booker? Standing out by half court like bad James Harden Devin Booker? That that was new. What we I think what we saw last night was very new from... Booker, so I don't know if here's like educational psychology. I don't know if we have the schema to discuss that as a collective group of fans. I mean, you can list off all the things that Booker did poorly last night. He didn't shoot well, he didn't pass well, and then he was passive. He didn't just get the ball and try to make something happen during large stretches of the game where the game was getting out of was getting out of control. So he was he was just awful. And here's here's my thing. And this is where I've been a little bit different than maybe you and Ryan and definitely some other Suns content creators. I, deep down, have always worried that the Suns' lack of a superstar, like superstar, would come back to bite them at some point. See the finals last year. Giannis, just a different level of player than Devin Booker the first two games of this series with the way Booker was playing defensively and then 
with what he and Chris Paul were doing to Luca on the offensive end, I was ready. And I think I said it on a podcast. I was ready to have a discussion about is Booker's offensive ability plus his really good defense. Is that enough to make up for how bad Luca is one-on-one on the defensive end? And that take just by nature of a couple bad games looks so bad right now. And I wasn't, I just wasn't ready for how passive he looked and really kind of how helpless he looked out on the court at times last night in game seven. Are the Suns now in the camp of like the 2014 Atlanta Hawks? The one seed with 60 wins who get swept out of the playoffs. I just want to, I just want to get a little perspective here from a general NBA fan's perspective, because that's something I'm struggling with. How embarrassing is this result? Because we just got, we, the Suns just got discussed as a historically good team, offensively, defensively, one went away from joining the 65 win club that has these crazy results of every one of them did this. As a man who's watched the NBA for a while, how embarrassing should the Suns, the players, the coach, the GM, the organization, not the fans, the the team, how should the team feel about this result? Different analogy. I wonder if they're like the Toronto Raptors teams, where you add DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, certified, unquestionable, good slash great NBA players, no doubt about it, but not quite good enough to get over the hump. That's where that's where I would fall more than just saying the fourteen Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I mean, who do you remember from the 14 Atlanta Hawks besides Al Horford, Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, Kyle Korver Jeff Teague, right? So Carroll, maybe. I mean, yeah, I think so like, they, isn't that the team that they jokingly gave like five All Stars to? Yeah, yeah, wasn't but it? You you didn't have a Booker or a CP3 on those teams. Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry, especially five years ago, those are household names in with marginal basketball fans. So I think that might be a little bit better of a comp where you looked at them and you said, they're always going to be a good team, but how do we get from a good team to a really great team? And I think the, the expectations is what was killer this year. The Suns by every metric were a historically great team. They were historic with their offense, with their defense, as you've just mentioned. They just ran into someone similarly to how they did last year in the finals. They ran into a generational talent who just kind of put them in their place and reminded them of the pecking order in the NBA right now. Again, just to reiterate this, I was ready and I was expecting Devin Booker to put his name in the conversation as like a top 10 player in the league. And you had a top five guy on the Mavericks who went, nah, nah. I think that's one thing too. When you look at that Hawks team, they didn't get beaten by some some buzzsaw type. Like they got swept as the one seed and, and they just, it is what it is. You look at that Raptors team, they were stuck in a LeBron world. And that was very unfair. And I think this is what's going to make it really hard for Suns fans. If you're trying to judge your embarrassment or your disappointment. If you've been so busy talking about Luca being a trash can and that he's overrated, 
this loss is a whole lot worse. I think if you take a step back and realize what he is, it makes it make a little bit more sense. Now, how bad the Suns played absolutely falls into this. We saw plenty of great teams run into the buzzsaw of LeBron plus, and they played out of their minds and still lost. That's not what we saw. We did not see the Suns play out of their minds. Even in their wins, aside from one, but still that was just a, it looks more like an outlier now than anything. They got, the stats prove it. They were not the better team who got unlucky. And so either the Mavs are are very well coached, which I know some Suns fans don't want to say that, and have a very, very, very good player who can single-handedly win you a series. Some Suns fans don't want to say that. And I think part of it goes back to a, a similar discourse as what I saw on Twitter today. A lot of people wanted to hate on absolutely everything Patrick Beverly said because it's Patrick Beverly. No matter how much truth is in there, we hate Patrick, so we hate his takes. I think a lot of Suns fans hate everything Luka because Luka is the the villain to Aiton in the Aiton conversation, and thus we can't look at facts within an argument. We're all in or we're nothing, right? And I think that's what's going to hurt Suns fans. If you can't realize how good Luka is, this series is going to hurt a whole lot more. And personally, that's what gave me some bit of solace last year after the finals was just saying, Giannis is that guy. He is going to be remembered in 20 years as that guy. The Suns took that guy to game six in the first year with a new duo and a very young team. I'm okay with that. And I think that's what kills me and what makes this one hurt so much worse is because we had been conditioned to think that the Suns were that guy because of all of their guys, because of their depth. And one thing, again, and this is kind of where I go with the Hawks, the Hawks won 60 games the regular season is because their team was deep with talent. They did not have a five-man rotation that was just underwhelming. And so all year we talked about the Suns having so much depth and we have the big depth. And and yeah, it kind of flipped. Now it's like, well, where's our point guard depth? But hey, we'll worry about that later, right? Like we're so deep, we have so much talent. But what happens when you get to the playoffs? Philip, how many how many guys are usually in a playoff rotation? Seven or eight. Right. So so what's guy number possibly eight, nine, or ten doing to impact the playoffs other than helping you get your good seed in the regular season? Yeah, there's stop gaps. Right. There's stop gaps and, that fill up a few minutes. And so again, being willing to ag- agree with some things and disagree with others, I I got very tired of Eric Gordon's name on my timeline after the game six loss and game seven loss as if James Jones, this is on you. You make this one trade, which again, who knew if they were even interested or if we had anything they wanted, but still it's this, well, if we had that, it fixes it. Great. I understand the logic of saying, yes, if you get an Eric Gordon, he is definitely in your one through seven. And thus you have someone that makes an impact. Great. You're also kicking someone out of your one through seven. So that changes things. And also, if you look at this series and you look at what happened last night in game six and you think that the only reason they lost was because they didn't have a shot creator, who, by the way, is not on the level remotely of a Booker or a Paul. And I don't I don't understand how Eric Gordon is somehow like this top 10 shot creator that everyone has just forgotten about. But like the Suns were bad. They were bad. 
like bad, bad offense, defense, mentality, attitude. Yeah, we're we're at the venting session now. Like that's what I that's what I don't get. They were so bad after spending however many months proving to us that not only that they were good, that that we should trust them. Something Suns fans have a really hard time doing. What what is it? What do you think of how how does this team, a sixty four win team, who won while players were injured, who toughed things out, who developed and grew and had young players step up what do you think happened and do you think a lot more of this is mentality attitude stuff between the ears than actual on-court talent it it's so easy it's so easy chris paul and devin booker were awful awful there's no there's (laughs) there's no fix to that there's no fix to both of your primary ball handlers being hot garbage in a game seven. There's no fix. None. What what does McHale do? What does McHale do when both of the primary ball handlers can't get anything going? What is DA supposed to do when those two guys are completely broke? Like there's there's no grand analysis to be done about their offensive about their offensive game plan that doesn't begin with Booker and CP3 did not play up to the level that they needed to and we said we said it after game 5 maybe game 6 the Suns can survive a subpar Chris Paul game the Suns can s- survive a subpar Devin Booker game the Suns cannot could never in the playoffs survive both of those guys playing below normal expectations and that's what they did last night and again with the way the roster's constructed with the way this roster would look any way you cut it with Devin Booker and Chris Paul at the helm there is nothing to do when they are that bad that's it so when you want to like we've been we've talked a couple times in the series like after game 3 what is it that went wrong in game three? The Mavs made eight three-pointers in the first quarter. What is it that went wrong in game seven? Devin Booker and Chris Paul were that bad. And happiness is like the the gap between expectations and reality. That's why there are so many Suns fans who are down so badly today is because for the entire season, for the entire season, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, like you've said, they were those dudes. And they deserved trust they deserved our trust as fans they deserved us walking into a game seven being look at their look at their clutch stats when games matter most these guys have delivered this team as a whole has delivered and it just wasn't there last night from their two players and that's that's what went wrong with the sun so like we can go into all of these hypotheticals about who should have been on the court and who should have been on the team and what the front office should have done Devin Booker and Chris Paul should have played better and if that's not where the conversation starts, then it's it's a fruitless conversation because it's an ignoring the facts that are right in front of our faces. I, I agree. And that's something, too, when people want to talk about D.A. or McHale or Cam or whatever, like the success that we have come to expect out of them cannot be viewed in a bubble. It is silly to think that those guys do that in any environment, no matter what. Those guys do that 
because of what is created and set up for them by Paul and Booker and their play and the gravity they bring and the attention they bring. And then the other players take advantage of it. So it's stupid to think that Aiton is going to put up 28 shots and score 40 points because he's taller than the other team. And yeah, Mikhail missed. Mikhail was uncharacteristically bad offensively. Like that does need to be said. Cam Johnson still hit his shots. Lander hit his shots in game seven. But at the end of the day, the game is over. So now we move on to our offseason to-do list. And Philip, I'm going to let you start this so that I don't get us way out there to begin. What are you looking at now that the season's over? All right. So listeners, here's what we're going to do. This is what the Suns will address in the offseason. And we're going to try to keep ourselves real then and not actually discuss it. Like we need some content for over the, over the summer. So we are developing a list. We are not going in depth into these discussions. The biggest one, the biggest one, what do you do with DA? What do you do with DA? I think this, whatever happened last night on the bench, emotions are running high. He wasn't getting a lot of touches. He wasn't playing as well as we might be accustomed to. He also wasn't getting up any shots. He wasn't getting the ball in good places last night. I think cooler heads will prevail in that situation. Emotions running high in a game seven. But that's to-do list number one. What do you do with DeAndre Aiden and his contract? Yeah, that's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, What else is on the list, though? So Twitter. we don't get bogged down by DA. Twitter's already flowing with it. Uh, I think question two is, is addressing something that I think is popping up on Twitter. And, and you've mentioned it yourself. If the Suns want to stay contenders, which if you listen to Bill Simmons today, he believes that the championship window is officially closed. So that makes you feel good at night. Uh, do the Suns need another that guy? Potentially, sorry, Booker and Paul, a real that guy. Uh, I think if you look at every team left in the playoffs right now, you can clearly point to that guy. Jimmy Butler is that guy. Steph Curry is that guy. Luka is very much that guy. Jason Tatum is that guy. That is the type of guy that I think you need to compete for a championship. Do the Suns need to bring in something else? I believe in that stratosphere. So maybe who that could be? Because I think there's a a few potential options. I think it probably ties into DA. Uh, But do you think that's worth talking about? Or do you think that's pie in the sky type of stuff? No. And what you're, what you're essentially getting at is do the Suns have a trade that they can make with expiring deals. And then what we'll be digging into is who are some of the reasonable names on the list who you could get for guys like Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, campaign okay i'm doing it too don't they have to address the backup point guard slot as well i thought you were about to say cam johnson gets traded i was about to kill you no so i think cam johnson is perfect because you can move jay crowder i think i think i would be comfortable with the suns moving jay crowder this offseason and bumping Cam Johnson into his starting spot or keeping him as a sixth man, keeping him as a sixth man and bringing in um, a starter who, a starting caliber 
player to flank CP and uh, Devin Booker. So here's what we have. DA, we got to figure it out. Is there a big move that we can make for um, a trade, kind of putting together some of our pieces that we have, some of the good expiring contracts, which sidebar, shout out to James Jones for the Suns having expiring contracts when they need to make some big, big, big time decisions this offseason. Those like eight to $12 million a year contracts are pristine. Think Landry, Jay, Dario. Those are really helpful contracts to have. And then you got to figure out the backup point guard position. Got to figure it out. Can Cam Johnson be his own category? What to do with his extension? Because sure. I think, sure. Because I, well, I guess you can just say the extensions. Because if Booker makes all NBA, which I really think he will, based on the MVP vote, hundred percent. Yeah, he's yeah, going to be no up doubt. for. He's going to be up for a supermax. Cam is going to be able to get his first big extension. So uh, that might be another David Nash episode, having to rope him in to talk numbers with us, since he knows a little bit more than we do. And. David, we know you're a loyal listener. We love you and would like to friendly remind you that you said you were going to come back during the offseason. So can't wait. Can't wait to chop it up with you after the uh, after the emotions run down again. Okay, so what do we have? We have DA doing something with the expiring deals. Backup point guard. I say secure Cam Johnson as long as it's a reasonable deal, as long as that doesn't balloon over 22 to 23 mil a year. Those are four. Do you have a fifth? that you want to that you would want to address i i don't think so i think the chris paul thing is an, a, a non-issue i don't think anything changes there uh i know a lot of people were throwing out the massive massive deal that he signed uh and now they believe that at age 37 he can no longer play basketball i don't think that's much of an issue i don't think the coaching change is happening i don't think executive change is happening I think it's going to be a lot of the same, uh, but it is, it's that what, what needs to happen using the supporting cast as leverage to improve. And I feel like we've kind of got that covered. Yeah. So we just have one more comment that says, do you think the Suns are a candidate to get a superstar? That's a tough question. What's the definition of superstar? Like, is it Kevin Durant, Kevin, right? Like Kevin Durant, LeBron, Giannis, Steph Curry, like those Luca, like those are superstars in my mind. Are they, are they candidates to get guys at a lower level than that? Guys like really good players, Jeremy Grant level. This is a little bit better. CJ McCollum level. There's been rumors on online today about Dame Lillard. I think that's, reaching too high with who the Suns currently have. So the the qualifier, somebody deserving of a max or a supermax contract? No. No. That's that's going to be too much for for the Suns. So they need to they need to make some moves if they're going to be truly contenders. But then again, then again and we're getting towards 45 minutes Ethan, so it might be time to uh wrap it up. Go back two years ago. Go back two years ago. Three years ago. Think about where you were, Suns fans. Think about where you are today. Having won, your team has won 64 games and got bounced into game seven in the second round. And we're looking at that and considering that to be below expectations. 
the Suns hypothetically could run it back. I don't think they're runaway favorites in the West like they were this year. They could run it back with what they currently have, and the Suns would be very good. Again, this is still a very good team that got out of sorts by a great scheme from the Dallas Mavericks. So what I'm saying is this. Are you trying to make me feel better because it's my birthday? (laughs) Base level expectations for the Suns next year not even base level, basement level expectations is going to be like a five or six seed. A five or six seed. The West is going to be really good again. But again, get some perspective and say going from NBA finals to easily the best team in the league this regular season. And next season, you're going to walk in and probably have expectations of at least getting to the second round of the playoffs again. The Suns are still in an okay position as a franchise. The question becomes, are they in a position to just blaze a path to the NBA Finals? No, but there is no team in the West right now that's in a position to just blaze a path to the Finals. It doesn't matter who it is because the West is going to be that stacked and the West is in part stacked because there is a great team in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. No problem. And here's the deal, listeners. We're going to be back next Monday, at least, with a season postmortem. And after that is when we're going to start, we're going to start doing some research. We're going to start doing some reading and thinking, and we'll figure out how we want to approach the offseason and how we can constructively, constructively, dig into some of these some of these questions that we've brought up so at at the end of the day here's my last little bit number one shout out to the Mavericks they were so good the defense was awesome that audio assist that TNT had with Jay Kidd I mean that man was coaching from the sidelines that was really cool to see their defensive schemes were great Luca was transcendent in the first half shout out to the Mavericks number two the Suns are still in an okay position, but if we want if we want to keep the same level of expectations that we have right now for the Suns moving forward, there are going to be four to six or seven things on the offseason to-do list, and that's what we'll get to in the coming weeks. I also want to end, as we are, like you said, running along, by saying thank you. To our listeners, I know we say it in passing all the time, uh, but as the season comes to an end, we just want to say thank you for sticking with us throughout this entire season. Uh, the numbers were were great and all, but the fact that so many of you were listening to us, especially come playoff time, goodness, you all were listening to us two to three hours a week. That's a lot. Like there are loved ones in my life that that'd be a, that'd be a big ask for. So. We appreciate you a whole lot. We know that there will be some some coping time, some hobby time to step away from the suns and find something else. Uh, but we hope that if you are wanting to stay in the know as we continue to work through the suns team, figure out what what's going to happen over the offseason, uh, you keep coming back. Like Philip said, every Monday we'll have an episode. What that episode will be about, I'm not quite sure, but we at least have some topics to start with. Uh, and if there was ever a time for you all to get involved, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at the Valley PHX. 
any questions you have, topics you want to hear discussed, like we're open for business. If you've got stuff you want to talk about, questions you want answered, reach out to us, send us a DM. If you don't want it to be out there for the whole world to see, that's okay too. Uh, but we, we genuinely appreciate you guys riding with us and listening. We're excited to uh, put season two to bed and move to season three, which is crazy that that's even a thing. So let's also get some shout outs to uh, people we know are loyal listeners. Jordan, shout out to you. He slid into our DMs a couple a couple days ago. We appreciate you listening. Romeo has been a real one. A YouTube on faithful. YouTube. Yeah, giving us some good questions to discuss. Also, shout out to our boy Ryan, who doesn't always get to come on the pod, but He's trying to work in the pot around his work schedule and with his move to Florida. So we appreciate the work that he's putting in. And then we, I don't want to call ourselves fanboys because we just like the guy and have a very friendly relationship with him. We're very thankful to David at the four point play, David Nash for his, for his support, for his coming on the podcast, for his promoting the podcast and just the vouch, the vouch that he gave us. Uh, It means a lot as guys who are relatively new to podcasting to get support from people who are well-established with podcasts. And I don't know if they've done it publicly, but I know privately Mike and Sam, the guys, the guys at the timeline have done so as well. So to some of those OGs who are long-term Phoenix Suns podcasts who have supported us, who have encouraged us this season, we're really appreciative of that as well. And then most of all, thank you again to those who listen, those who watch and get to see our bright and shining faces. We love I'm sorry, did you, say, did you say bright? Have you heard of... of bright and sighting faces from the very, Bright Side Podcast Network? Yeah, you. plug. I was going to say, I, I wanted to give one one final big shout out, as much as we appreciate you all listening. Uh, to Dave King, Dave was... You talk talk about giving us a shot when we really didn't have uh, much, much to show for it. Uh, Dave King has been a massive supporter and helper getting this to where it is. Um, and all the while, folks like him and Gerald and Kellen and Espo and Dwayne, and I mean, you could list a bunch. There are a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort and love into covering the Suns and putting content out there. Uh, for people like myself, when I was growing up in Kentucky as the only Suns fan I knew, and listening to the solar panel was the only Suns content I got outside of Twitter. So it is, it is cool being able to help provide some of that to you guys uh and i have a pretty good idea of what this is about to be but philip is there anything you'd like to say before we end the episode go sons and for the og listeners i am stamping it right now our next episode will be the return of your favorite segment our next episode will include highs lows and just so you knows from this season in phoenix suns basketball go suns yes. i love it uh for philip russell i am ethan shut thank you all once again this is into the valley phoenix suns podcast we out